Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 108 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bieven. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. All right, everybody, welcome back. Sorry, it's been a little while. We haven't really (laughs) been putting out episodes much lately, you might have noticed. Before we get started today with our interview, which I think you're really going to enjoy with poet Brendan Lorber, we're talking about ghost stories and his ghost novel that he's working on. But before we do that, um, I'm really trying to get episodes out again in the new year. And I'm thinking about ways to try to make that easier to do and to get things done. Uh, The other Joseph and I really have had a lot going on, so it's been hard to keep up with the podcast. I think any of you know who have done this or know people who have done podcasting, it's a lot of work, and it's just the two of us. Uh, It's really hard to keep up with. I'd like to do some different things in the new year. I'd like to add some segments. I think it would be great to have some kind of trivia sort of segments where people can play along related to poetry. I've got some ideas on that. But What we really need is we need some people who are willing to help us out and put in their time with the podcast. So I'm going to be putting a form out that's a volunteer form. I wish we could pay you. We don't. This is not a money-making operation here. (laughs) Certainly not. But uh, what, what I'm really looking for, if there's someone who would be interested in helping with scheduling of guests, that would be a great help and would really help us put episodes up faster Uh, And if you're interested in poetry, it also means you'd get to talk to some poets that maybe you wouldn't get to talk to otherwise. Um, I'd really also like people to either do research or help help out with writing segments. If we could start adding some segments in, that would also help us put things out further. Also, if you're interested in being involved in some other way that we haven't talked about, that's great too. Uh, You know... I'm open to open to anything, really. Open to ideas. I'm trying to really rethink the podcast as we go into 2020 and see what we uh, can do and start really trying to get this out regularly again. But anyway, um, here is an interview with poet Brendan Lorber. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so we have a returning guest who happened to be vacationing in New Orleans, so figure why not. Yeah. Now, why not have him back on? Brendan Lorber, how are you doing today? I am, I'm going to be honest, I am a little bit rough around the edges. I've been here for about a week now. I'm going back to New York tomorrow, and uh, and I would say it's kind of 50-50, like most of, uh, maybe a slight majority of my inner organs really want me to go back home and just sit perfectly still and not do anything except maybe, you know, do a juice cleanse or something, whatever people back in New York do um, to prolong their miserable lives. Um, so it's about 50-50. The other 50% are like, no, no, this is, this is good. The, uh, the day drinking, I think this could be a pretty, pretty strong, bold, new lifestyle choice that is, despite what people say, entirely sustainable. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's a trade-off. Yeah. It's a trade-off. Maybe that was a long answer. Maybe the, the answer you were going for was like, oh, I'm good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, well, no, it's fine. Yeah. Well, cheers. So, Scout, so we decided to have some uh, Catahoula Commons. Yep. It's Maybe uh, soften the... Catahoula Commons. Uncommonly <laughs> delicious. They just changed the... Uh, I kind of like it, but it's weird. They just changed this can design. It's very... Well, it is... It's kind of like light pastel <laughs> sort of colors. It's it's good for a breakfast beer. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, not if you're like too... <laughs> I guess... They could be kind of sickening. It's true. If you... <laughs> it's a little... It's a little migraine. There's a lot going on. <laughs> a little LSD-ish. Yeah. Um... So how are you? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing yeah. good. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you took the train down. I did, and uh, it's kind of now that I've done it twice, it's kind of a tradition. I feel like, and it's sort of the most beautiful utopian experience where you get. I mean, granted, I I get a little sleeping car um, rather than coach. Doing it in coach probably not as utopian because it's a thirty-hour trip. Um, but a sleeping car you get your own tiny little compartment which is about the size of my own apartment um back in back in, <laughs> in yours, new so york yeah easy transition. um and uh and right around dinner time you go you go into the restaurant and you have dinner and when you come back um the conductor porter butler person on the uh i hope it's a porter and not the conductor i think yeah well i don't think it's the engineer <laughs> It's, I just don't know what to call the the position. Yeah, yeah. I think Porter holds. might be right. I think Porter is the is the position. Of yeah. And uh, and the guy on this trip, Jonathan, was fantastic. He was totally totally great. Um, and and it's got to be a hard job because on those long haul sleeper car trips, you know, you're going to see a lot of murders, and not all of them <laughs> get solved. And some of, sometimes, you know. Well, that's why they all they all have you know they their second job is detective. Right, so they can. Yeah, yeah, I could tell from his mustache. <laughs> so and so you had, and you also kind of had a a secondary thing you were doing while you were on your train ride, right? That's right. I was. Uh, I did a sort of live broadcast online of the first chapter of this book length ghost story that I've been working on for a while, and uh, and I feel like adding to the allure and mystery. Uh, was the fact that there's very poor signal strength on Amtrak lines. <laughs> so so this broadcast kept cutting out um, at pivotal moments. I could sort of... I kept getting little warning things on, on the screen as I was broadcasting that it was, you know, this is not being transmitted anywhere outside of this sleeping compartment right now. Like you and the porter out in the hallway who's wondering what's going on are the only people hearing this. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I kind of remember any time I've taken a long train ride that you don't really have. It's yeah. pretty rare when you get it when you get a good internet connection yeah. or a good uh, signal at all. Yeah, but which but, was which was actually kind of nice because it forced me to spend a lot of those thirty hours reading on the train. Well, that part's nice, but it's not nice when you're trying to do a live broadcast. I guess. Yeah, but but I didn't. <laughs> I kind of, you know, I I. I I have this I have a wonderful daughter who you know I've been raising for she's 11 years old now but because like once you have a kid you know that whatever your plans are there's a very good chance that it's not going to pan out. Yeah. Like, so you were ready. You were ready. I was ready 
Um, <laughs> like on this trip, I got to Penn Station before the train left, you know, well in advance. On on the last time I came down last year, um, I almost missed the train because it was like UN week and there was a marathon and there was a protest and they were <laughs> refurbishing the uh, the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel after still like a decade after Hurricane Sandy. Um, so I, I left like two hours to get to the like the train station in a car, even though it should only take about 20 minutes. But I left a good two hours, and it took like two hours and 15 minutes. Like I got, and I just sprint through. But, I, but even on that, in that case, I was like, well, if I miss it, and I don't get to go on this trip to New Orleans, you know, nobody's going to die. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I forgot about that. I haven't lived somewhere like that in a while, where the yeah. traffic is so unpredictable, where right. you're like, oh. I and thought everything. I gave myself a ton of time, and right. that doesn't really happen in New Orleans. So it's no. like, if if you have bad traffic, it's like, oh, I'm 15 minutes later than I thought I was going to be. Yeah. It's never like... <laughs> yeah, like I just came, I came to your place here uptown from from St. Claude Avenue, where like where the uh, the Piety uh, Holiday Market in Exile. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw the sign for that this yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. What's going on? I was and, like, this is weird. It's not on Piety Street. Nope. It's in Exile <laughs> on St. Claude. And uh, and that's clear across town. Like it's far away from here. It's a good. Yeah. What did that take? Fifteen minutes. It took exactly fifteen minutes. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. You can get almost anywhere. Yeah. In New Orleans, in fifteen minutes, pretty much. It's Unless it's Mardi Gras or something. That's the only. Right. That's yeah. the only exception. But any right. other time of year, it's like, yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what? So what is it that you were reading on your broadcast? Did we already say that. Um. We we kind of touched on it, but then I went off on on this tangent. Um, I'm trying to bring it back. Yeah, you are doing a very very noble job. It's a very it's a tough job. Um, it was uh, the first chapter of a ghost story that I've been working on for the last year or two, um, and have been thinking about for longer. Um, and it takes place in New York City in 1979, um, and. Uh, and the concept, one of the concepts behind it is that they say that there's 8 million rats in New York City. Um, one for every person, pretty much, like a soulmate. Um, but they're totally wrong. There are 8 million rats, but there's far fewer people. And that's because a lot, of the, a lot of the individuals who you cross paths with over the course of a day or night um, in New York City are not people at all. They're actually ghosts. Um, and they're here for several reasons, but, uh, but there's one dominant one that becomes apparent as the story unfolds. And, uh, and we're led through the story um, by the protagonist, Liam Early, who works as a locksmith um, at a little place on the corner of uh, 7th Avenue South, Cottingley Place, and Visitor Street. Um, some, some things happen. And he has to make some tough decisions. All right. So why? So what? Why a ghost story? Is this just something you've been fascinated with for a while, or? Well, I don't know. Do you? I'm going to ask you a personal question. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, do you do you believe in ghosts? I'm not sure. Uh, I saw maybe a ghost once. Yeah. But I'm not. But, totally sure whether it was a ghost or something else. Right. Like, uh, like most things can be completely explained in logical terms, 
or if you really want to believe it's a ghost, it's because you really want to believe in that, but really you could be, it's kind of a stretch. And to me, well, to me it also gets into all these things about, I don't know if I believe in an afterlife kind right. of deal. Right. So it seems like believing in ghosts is kind of, I think if there's anything, maybe it's like reincarnation or something, mm -hmm. which... I guess there's still a way you could have ghosts if there's a reincarnation thing happening. Maybe there's some, yeah. Well, there's, there's in between right. place or something, or and there's also the sense, like in sort of Western traditions, and that ghosts are always going to be ghosts of someone. You know, the way that you have a thought, you have a thought of something, mm -hmm. but but perhaps they're just a different kind of entity. That it, it's not like oh, you know. Uncle Louie died, and there's his ghost over there. It could be, oh, there's this thing, this this other presence that was never anything but what that presence is now. So, but in your conception of ghosts, mm. whether whether I mean I don't know, maybe this is different in your story than what you actually believe. It could be, maybe those are two right. different things. Yeah, could be. Ghosts are. You think ghosts have? They're like thinking self-controlled entities um like are they these autonomous yeah essentially like aside from not having necessarily bodies are yeah they, yeah are they, are they in some way sort of living yeah yeah self -determining yeah self-determining creatures um there are i mean there are different theories about that right like there's some where like like in some belief systems, um, a ghost can kind of be created as this sort of looping entity that's kind of replaying well, the stone, moment. Isn't that the stone tape theory? Isn't that that idea? What's the stone I can't remember who came up with that. That idea that, like, stones, I think, were the original idea, but, like, that everything has some imprint of things that happened around it. Mm. So ghosts, sometimes it's just like a replaying like a, like an of... Echo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like if you, like they say, if you go to like Ellis Island, you can kind of hear the names of people being called. Yeah, um, yeah. It could be that, but but it, specifically in this case, it's like like traumatic incidents that led to someone's death. They are like whoever, like their consciousness was so unable to conceptualize that this terrible thing happened to them that they're kind of playing it over and over again. The way that we in life kind of do with trauma that we're not able to fully digest. Yeah, like yeah, PTSD yeah. PTSD is this kind of, like flashbacks are a return to the un unprocessable moment of, of horror that happens in, in people's lives. But in that situation, probably the ghost would be, if not really self-directed at all. Right. It's it would at least be limited what they're... Right. <laughs> right, and kind of un to the degree that they're unable to process what happened, they're unaware of what's happening, of the fact that they're just repeating this moment. Yeah, um, and so, maybe they're not even that person that that happened to, so much as some piece of that or some echo of that in some right, way. Right, right. Um, so, so there are there are those I've, within the confines of of this sort of larger story that that um that i'm putting together there are those entities and they're not they're they're almost more part of part of the landscape in a certain way like they're not 
but you, but there's both. There's 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 not just both. There's many, many multiple kinds just of just there's ghosts. many different kinds of of <laughs> of physically living creatures. Um, and there's many different kinds of inanimate objects. Um, there are many different kinds of ghosts. Um, and some of them are ghosts of people. Some of them are, they've always been these, these um, non-embodied entities. Um, and then within each one of those two categories, there's many different subcategories. Subcategories. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, maybe this is a good spot to, to read a little bit of it. Well, I didn't bring it with Oh, me. I, I thought didn't... you brought it. I thought oh. you were going to read some of it. No, no. Oh, I thought we were just going to have like, a little, a little <laughs> um, So, but you said that you saw something that might have been a ghost one. Yeah, I might have talked about this on here before. On this? On, on, on the, the podcast. podcast but or... I can't remember. If I did, though, it's probably so long ago that no one, well. no one remembers. And it's all right. You can hear it a second time. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually... This was at Makos's old place. Mm-hmm. He li- he used to have kind of close to Vaughn's where we were talking about. He used to right live in that water. above that warehouse. It was like a warehouse converted into apartment. Okay, and uh, it was a pretty weird place. And like we were talking about back then, mm-hmm. that was a pretty empty area. There right. was not a lot of people out there right. all the time. Um, and he was like right by the railroad track mm-hmm. over there too. He was out of town and. My friend Jeff, who's been on the podcast before as well, he's a musician, he's a piano player, mm-hmm. was staying in Magos's place yeah, and uh, was, you know, practicing piano there. It was actually ridiculous because that was actually a cold winter for once, mm-hmm. and it was the winter, and that warehouse did not have any insulation, so we had kind of like a tent set up in the main room to okay. trap the heat <laughs> That's, inside of the tent. <laughs> that's intense, but so to speak. But you know, I, was like, <laughs> I didn't but, mean that. <laughs> but anyway, so so he was there doing that, and I was over there working on some songs with him. I was writing lyrics for some of his songs. Yeah. And we're like, all right, let's. We're like, okay, let's take a break. Let's go get some beer and come back and yeah, continue work. And we went to the to the little corner store and got the beer, and we were getting um we were getting out the car. We parked. I remember the beer on top of the car and the look, and we see coming from the direction of the river, past where the train tracks are. Right. This figure, that's it was a female figure of some kind. She was wearing a hoodie. You couldn't really see her face. The hood was up, no pants, and just had this very strange aura. And it, but then you looked, and she wasn't walking. She was gliding across her feet were not touching the ground she was just like gliding down the street and i turned to jeff and he had his mouth (laughs) wide open like pointing like do you see this too and we couldn't even say anything because there there was this feeling about it too was probably the most there was something it's like this kind of awe-inspiring Feeling like what is this? Like the the kind of tingling down sure. the back of your you know it's just so I and I don't know and so we're looking at each other we're not really sure what to do and she's continuing to glide down the street and then she picks up her finger and points at us and we just 
ran inside and we were like, I don't want to know <laughs> what is going on. I think that's as far as we can take. I didn't really, I mean, we we're curious, but it right. was just too there's, frightening there's to certain, figure out what it was. There's a certain moment of just animal self-preservation yeah. in the face of something completely <laughs> unknown. And then the rest of the night we're like, oh, oh no, Maybe we want to go out and see if she's still out there. But I don't know. And, but I don't know if that was a ghost or not, or what that was. I mean, is it possible, like, like I, I don't want to get into whether or not she was actually wearing pants or leggings or something <laughs> like that, but it is it's New Orleans, and it's... Well, that in and of itself, except that it was cold, so it's quite odd. Like, if it was warm, right. it would have been a... Could she have been on a skateboard or something to give the sense of... No, I mean, we on? were, I mean, she was only, like, down the block. Like, we could see very clearly. Right. It wasn't far enough, so far away that I mean, there was nothing. You would have you would have heard the wheels of a skateboard, yeah, the pavement or something along those lines. I mean, there could be some explanation. I don't know what what it <laughs> what it is, right? But it was certainly like a startling, strange situation. I think the first thought in both of our minds was ghost, even though I don't know that I would necessarily say that was ghost, right. but it was something odd and. Difficult to explain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that both of you saw it, so you could corroborate yeah, yeah. the experience. Um, and this was, you had just gone to pick up the beer. You hadn't No, we hadn't had anything to drink yet, so right. that, there's not that explanation. Right, so there's a certain amount of clarity already. <laughs> um, and then there was, I mean, the, the kind of dark part of this story, too, though, is yeah. we're talking to one of our other musician friends later and she was like well did you know there was a and i don't know why in her mind she connected these things i don't know if there's really a reason to connect these things right. but she was like did you know that in the news there was a rape that happened someone this girl sounding about that age was raped in that area that same evening and for some reason, in her mind, she connected those things. Like, maybe that's connected. Maybe, and I don't know. It could have been. Maybe it was. Maybe you're in an experience like that, and part of your consciousness wants to escape that. Or Right. So it was being projected outward. It could be. I mean, that certainly changes the... It's a very different story if that's the way you... Right. You know? And I don't know that there's any reason... For that, but that's what she immediately, right? When she heard the story, was like, "I wonder if it's connected to that." I mean, that's pretty horrible. That, yeah, no, yeah. certainly, yeah. Hmm. So I don't know. That's my ghost story. Right. I almost didn't say that part because that's the right the downer that, part of the story. Well, but it, it changes <laughs> it, and it changes it from something and something from. Like ooh, a mysterious, spine-tingling story of intrigue to a like horrifying, horrifying yeah experience in somebody's life. Um, so yes, <laughs> so it does change the change thing. And I don't. And neither of them hmm. do I really have a reason to think that they're right true necessarily. But right. something right. Was going it on. could have just been a neighbor walking down the street. And <laughs> very, lit, lit, very strange. They learned how to levitate way. or something. 
<laughs> Stranger things have happened in New Orleans. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. That was my ghost story. And then another weird thing is, but this may just have a very prosaic explanation, and maybe I should have responded to it. But then maybe a few years later, I saw someone on Craigslist looking and asking about of something that sounded very similar, like had anyone seen this? But I didn't respond to it because I didn't know if I wanted to. It's also possible it could have been someone that we had told the story, but I don't and know why they would have been. Like trying to take the piss out of you? Like trying to rile you up? And stuff. Or was trying to like, they were interested in it and was trying to research it themselves or whatever. Oh, I see. You know, right, see right, if there right. were other. So, I don't know. Yeah. It is very strange. But, I don't know, it's my ghost story. Yeah. <laughs> is that your only experience of something supernatural happening? It seems like, having spent time in New Orleans, it seems... Almost unlikely that you would not have. No, but I think that's yeah. Inexplicable. Um, I don't think I've had too many in in. I think my only other sort of ghost experience was not in New Orleans at all. It was in Massachusetts mm -hmm. because I had these friends. Yeah. They rented this house. I don't know why they rent. I mean, it was a beautiful house, but it was out in the middle of nowhere, and it was like a Victorian era house, and they had not changed the thing at all it was right. huge and there was only the two of them living there and they didn't use the upstairs and the upstairs was like they hadn't they still had like all the old furniture there were straw beds up there and everything straw beds and yeah. they were convinced it was haunted right. and it certainly was like you would hear you knew there was no one upstairs right and you would just hear all this stuff going on up there you know, all the time. It could be, yeah. It could just be the house settling rather than something unsettled. It certainly could upstairs. be, but it sure, they were convinced it was haunted, right. and it sure, like, you would go there and be like, that's, I mean, yeah, I know houses settling stuff, but that's, that's a there, lot there going something, on. <laughs> there is something to be said about just human evolution of how, of how, especially at night when our vision is not as good, we have these vivid imaginations. Like, that as humans, we've evolved to have these these imaginations so that we can anticipate problems, so that we can troubleshoot how to get out of them yeah, before, yeah. before we're really confronted with them. And, uh, and, and it's just something that as, as humans do, like we've done this for millennia to survive. So, so a strange thunk late at night. Sure. Is going to, we're, we're going to get, the hair standing up on our arms and the back of our necks. Yeah, because you you should be frightened, alert. I guess. You yeah. want to be uh, be able to respond to things. Yeah. But I don't know, but it certainly seemed. And then one Halloween, they did a whole Halloween thing there. Mm. We pulled out the Ouija board. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know, I was communicating or, or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it was all my own brain. Yeah. But Ouija, Ouija boards are interesting <laughs> devices, right? Yeah. I mean, I my my sister and I, I think maybe probably for some Christmas, we got a Ouija board when we were little kids. You know, this is back when we were like, like you know, I'm I'm old now. So this is back in, in the 1830s. <laughs> Downtown New York City was mostly farmland at that point. Um, and uh, my parents got this like cheap sort of Milton Bradley mm -hmm. Ouija mm -hmm. board. Um and and Abigail, my sister, and I would like play with it, you know, and try to communicate with the beyond, but mostly um, be completely convinced that the other person was pushing the little the little thingy around. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
And uh, but I still have that Ouija board. I haven't used it since Abby and I were kids. Um, so I mean, it really has been decades. But I still have it. And at this point, it's no longer this like ah, this cheap piece of crap Milton Bradley like. Yeah, now it seems like a nice. Um... Now it's actually <laughs> it's actually an antique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> um, that uh, <laughs> that my parents gave us a long time ago, and uh, so. When y'all used that as kids, did it ever, I mean, was it just kind of like yes, no answers, or did it ever get to the point where it was like, seemed to be really spelling out? They, there were, um, coherent it was, things. It was, <laughs> it would, it would give us names and initials of people, um, but it was always, you know, we would always be asking, you know, we were like seven years old. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, like the, we would have questions like who you know we're like trying to do divination through it of like okay who who are we what what's the name of the person we're going to marry stuff like that yeah 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 and uh, and um and so there was nothing ever we never walked away from it um convinced that we had actually connected with mm -hmm. something something paranormal we except in so far as we would walk away without having huge fights which <laughs> Whenever Abby and I played other games like Monopoly or Life or Sorry, it would usually end devolve into us arguing over something and and uh, and our parents having to break up a big fight. <laughs> so in that way, so maybe, was the best. maybe there was some sort of fairy godmother watching over us to keep us from. But but my sister and I did see something around that age. Okay. Um, and I realized that this is a poetry podcast, and so. Um, and so we're kind of going a little bit far afield. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's, 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 we're, we're all invested in the infinite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unknowable. Um, and trying to piece, make sense of, of that which resists assembling into some, into some confined, confined perspective. All right, good job tying it into poetry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but yeah, tell us um, what y'all saw. Um, well, this was um, this was out uh, uh, out near Sag Harbor, Long Island, long time ago. It was a long time before um, before things got super fancy. Um, this was probably in the late seventies, um, and uh, and it was late at night. Um, my sister and I, our parents, grandparents, and um, maybe a couple other family members, we'd all kind of gathered together. We went to some restaurant that was out in the woods in the middle of nowhere um i'm sure this area has since become really developed yeah yeah and it's all like like gigantic mansions where like billy joel and but back billy, then there's there's lives. there's uh <laughs> um, but uh but back then it was farmland and woodland and uh and there was this little this little restaurant and um at the end of dinner um all the grown-ups were just sitting around the table, yammering away, and my sister and I were getting really bored, and finally we were like, hey, can we just go outside, like, in the parking lot and hang out and run around? And my parents were like, well, it's just kind of late at night at this point. It was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And uh, and we were the last table at the restaurant that hadn't left yet. And they were like, okay, just go into the, stay in the in the parking area. Um, it's behind the behind the restaurant. Um, like, don't go into the road, don't wander off anywhere. Um, so we went out, 
parking area. It was just our car and maybe like a couple other cars of the people who worked at the at the restaurant. And then on one side was the restaurant, and on three sides was just like endless woods that just went off somewhere. And uh, and my sister and I were just like laughing and chasing each other around. And then we saw this light in like through the trees, um, maybe about fifty feet in. And uh, we both turned, and it was a woman who was lit from within. Like at first we thought maybe it was a car driving like down some road in the woods, but there were no yeah, roads yeah, out yeah. there. Um, it was just woodland for acres and acres. Um, and it was a woman sort of dancing, slowly turning around in a circle wow. with this light blue diaphanous kind of dress drifting around her. Um, and uh, and my sister and I looked at each other. We stopped laughing and chasing each other. and Our arms just dropped to our sides as we stood in the middle of this parking lot, staring into the woods at this woman, floating, turning in a, like in circles, seeming to dance with some unheard music. That, that almost seems like a fairy or something. And then, of course, add to this the fact that I was eight, <laughs> she was seven. Yeah, it was yeah. late at night. So, you know, we're, we already have, you're, at that age, you're in prime magical thinking. Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. I believe yeah. in magic. It's, we were kids, so. You so kind of do. There's a certain, there's a certain, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, you do have access to, to this unseen realm as a kid. But also, you're a kid, so, you know, maybe it's a load of hooey. You know, we were, yeah, like yeah. our own perceptions, our own, what we were seeing and what we subsequently told each other, like, over the years. Well, your separation between imagination and yeah, what actually happened, it's hard to... Right, the veil is almost <laughs> non-existent. It's just porous. Um, so, so we may have just made it up. We may have just convinced ourselves that's what yeah, we saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this was many decades ago, so it's hard to say. But that was our, that was our first experience. But I think there is a thing, too, right? Is, like, there are no matter what we learn and do, there's always unexplained things. Of course. And so, what you know, ghosts is one of those things. Yeah. And, you know, we could think about that comes out of a lot of different things, and it's a pretty ancient idea. Yeah. Uh, that's one of, these ex one of these things you can put these unexplained events into right. that kind of... Gives an explanation to them in some way to be like, right, well, right. maybe it's a it's, ghost. It's, it's a way of trying to arrive not just at what happens after you die, but also what is what's the nature of consciousness while we're still alive? Like, what is this? Like, soul is some to go back to if we want to like segue into bad poetry. Soul <laughs> is this idea that's not really fully explicated in in poems where it comes up, but it's some some way of just gesturing towards some essential nature of consciousness um that um well and you think i mean it's hard to not think on some level mm -hmm. that whatever happens after people die that they're not totally gone right i mean you know there's all kinds of you know and what what it could be something you can think of it as something magical, but even if you don't think it of some of it as something magical, you get a reminder of someone. Of course. And it makes you feel like you have some connection with them again, even though they're gone. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of that, right? And that's part of why I think the ideas of ghosts is so 
it's so luring and captivating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, it's sort of when, like once a year or so, I come down to New Orleans to see old friends and um, see newer friends who, over the upcoming years, in which I'm going to continue to come down for visits, will become old friends. Um, and, and there's this sense of, like, the big picture passage of time um, through that. So a lot, of, a lot of the time that I'm down here, I'm thinking about people I've known who are no longer with us. Um, and, and then occasionally, like on this trip, uh, there was not to get too into the details or, of, of what it is, but there was something that was a very kind of vivid reminder of this one person. Um, and, uh, but, you know, the, there's the people who, who you were close to who have left us, you're going to see vivid reminders because you were close to them. And, and especially it seems to be tied to place a lot, too. Like, if you're in a location right. that you meant a lot to you with that person and sure. you go back to that place, yeah, yeah. it's almost like they're there with you again in right. some weird way. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's something tied to place. That's true. That is true. I don't know. But yeah, but like you think of... And I don't know, we don't have necessarily, and I mean, that's because we're not as a religious society anymore. Right. But like, I think of like ancient Rome or, and they had these festivals where it, it's about that, or, or most societies had these kind of festivals that are about that, about this connection with the people who are gone. Right. And these times where there's this opening of the, of the, gates between those worlds and you can kind of right and and in in part because we are so we're such a sort of secular society now um that the that window is not as it's a little bit hokey and it's just halloween you know it's maybe less so when you don't even really have that as much with halloween anymore right i used to love i mean it doesn't happen anymore right but that used to be a great thing when i was a kid and I wish we had kept doing it longer. I mean, I don't know. I think my family was probably holdouts. There weren't many people doing that still anymore. Yeah. But that used to be the tradition in New Orleans on All Saints All Day. Saints Day the next day. Was we would go and clean the clean the graves yeah. of our family. And you would bring lunch. Right. And you would go out there and clean it and paint and Is that bring flowers. So there's maybe still some people doing it. But there's not. it's not that carried on anymore. Right. It used to be like pretty common. And I mean, I think, you know, earlier generations to me, it used to be like everyone did it. Right. Um, I mean, I think my family was kind of like the tail end of people still right. holding on to that tradition, but it was a nice thing because we kind of need that. Those yeah. like moments to be able to, let all the busy stuff fall aside and remember people. Right. And I don't know. And so maybe, like, I almost feel like ghosts are <laughs> in some way the manifestation of those things we don't, we, our society does not allow for us right. in that kind of remembering. Yeah, yeah. That now that it's sort of been systematically 
scrubbed out. Um, like any system of control is going to create these other symptoms where the thing that is that's being tried to that, that you're we don't have control. a ritual for it anymore right we right. don't have a ritual for it so it just comes out in, in these its own ways. other it, ways in, in its sort of self self ritualizing yeah ways. yeah um yeah like insofar as a ritual is something that brings you out of regular everyday experience into this other realm something like witnessing a ghost or something along the lines of an apparition although both of our ghost stories didn't have to do with people that we knew Right. But it's still, but it still gives you that idea that there is a possibility of that connection, right? Mm -hmm. One way or another, it's true. Um, I mean, there were, there were. I've had other experiences. Never, never an experience where, you know, I saw, you know, my grandmother walking down the street. Um, like there have been, there have been reminders. Like, oh, that's. Um, there was um there was a time when uh I was with a friend of mine this was years ago shortly after uh, my grandmother died um and we were going back to my grandparents' house um and it was somebody that I hadn't known at that point for a long time and and she didn't really know my grandparents um and uh and as she was like we were walking down the hallway in their house she just started humming this tune <laughs> um, that my grandmother used to always hum, <laughs> and later said, "Oh, I don't know. It just came to me. It just popped in my head." So, so there are experiences like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the only time as an adult that I saw a uh, saw an apparition with another another person um, that could corroborate it the way that the way that you would experience was. Uh, was it was in in college when I was about twenty two or twenty three or however old you are just before you graduate and uh, <laughs> and my uh, my best, then best friend John was a biology major he's now a, a scientist at University of Texas um, <laughs> and uh, and it was about two in the morning the phone rings back at our house and and it's and I pick up and and it's John who's working late in the old the old laboratory building. There are two laboratory buildings. This it was an old college in, in New England. Um, and uh, there was the new one that had been built in the 60s and then the original building from like the 1880s. And that's where he was just kind of babysitting some experiment that was going to take overnight to work. Um, and uh, and he was like, hey, do you want to come visit? I'm just filling up little, it's basically little crack vials with liquid nitrogen and <laughs> throwing them around the hall and making it pop. <laughs> And I was like, I'm working on a paper right now. That sounds like a much better thing to be doing with my time. So, so I walked the 20 minutes up the hill to the uh, to the old laboratory, and it was like 2:30 in the morning. And uh, and he showed me what he was working on. And uh, and then he was like, All right, let's go to the hallway. We'll go down the hall and to the storeroom and and get the little little tiny plastic <laughs> test tubes, and then go get some chunks of liquid nitrogen and put them in there. So. So we go down, we get a whole bunch of these little crack vials, and then we're just standing in the hallway. We haven't gotten the liquid nitrogen yet. We're standing in the hallway right um, by an open door that leads into the autoclave room. And autoclaves are these, like, either they're, they're essentially like high-temperature ovens for medical or 
for laboratory equipment that sterilizes them. You put put stuff in there, crank it up, and it kills any bacteria that's on the on there. Um, and this room, there was one way in and out. It was this one doorway, and it looked kind of like a small laundromat. One wall had these had the autoclaves that you open up. There were these circular doors that you opened, little circular hatches along one wall. There was like maybe five of them. And uh, John and I are just talking about some nonsense, and something catches the corner of our eye, and we both turn our heads and look into the room, and there's a man standing there. It's an old white man with mustache and gray-white hair, um, and, uh, and he's opening one of the autoclaves, and he's wearing this black, sort of black smock, and he's got these sort of gigantic oven mitt-like gloves on. And we just stop talking, as you guys did on that street corner. And we look at each other and look back. And he's still opening it. And he starts to reach into the autoclave. John and I look back at each other. And then when we look back in the room, the door to the autoclave is kind of wobbling. But there's nobody standing there. <laughs> wow. Even that almost feels like one of those ones where maybe it's like, it's someone from the past, right? That used to work there, or right? Like either you know, either something went wrong with the autoclave at that moment, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, hundred years earlier, or it was someone who this was his passion was yeah, working in this yeah. laboratory, um, and that was that was the one case where not only was there another another adult witness. But, yeah, but it was an adult witness who has dedicated his life to the scientific <laughs> method. So he was not easily uh... <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that, I don't know why unrelated. I guess well, not unrelated, but I, I was thinking about it and to to connect it back to poetry again, maybe. So I mean, you think of like the modern idea of ghosts in America, and you have to think of like the spiritualists, right? Right. And all that. You know, when I lived, I used to live in this town in, in when I was in Massachusetts, this town called Lake Pleasant, and it was a big spiritualist center. Sure. They still had, and they would every month do their seance there. Wow. And like, it's a small town, but it, was, yeah, it yeah. was a spiritualist center back in the 1800s, and it still continued to be it. But, surre like, but French surrealism, their original idea of in the beginning, it wasn't, they weren't really, there was some uncertainty to them whether they were accessing the subconscious or whether it was something, because they were definitely using things from spiritualism. And, and in, in both of those cases, like with spiritualism, it was happening at the height of the Victorian era where everything was super buttoned down and everything was sort of scientific for the first time. Yeah. And, and passion was was butting heads with morality in this way, where morality was always winning. And so spiritualism kind of came out from, like, emerged as, like, oh, you're trying to control everything, not so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this other realm, which is beyond the control of, of strict morality. And then surrealism, again, with the sort of mechanization and industrialization of the world, like, everything is engineered and orderly, except... The subconscious, or 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 maybe you're world. maybe it's some other right. world you're accessing, which, and which is, what is the difference yeah, really? <laughs> and which in the case of, in, in both these cases, like the 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 motives 
not just the motives of like the charlatans who are leading seances and things like that, but but the motives in in our hearts for wanting for desiring to to engage in this practice was that there is something uncontrollable, something beyond mere human control. Well, and that's interesting too. You said the charlatans, right? And right. certainly there are people that definitely were. But that's the interesting thing in both of those in both of those movements, whether you're talking about spiritualism or whether you're talking about surrealism. Right. A lot of the times, uh, you know, I think that distinction is maybe not as clear as you think about it, right? It's not usually like, oh, I'm just doing this to trick people. Right. Or not. It's some place in between. You sort of believe in it. Right. But you're also right. theatrically enhancing what you're doing, <laughs> right? Or you're making it, you know? Because uh, yeah. it's, because that that isn't always such a clean line. It's, it's not true. like you believe something or you don't. Right, right, it's, right. <laughs> that's interesting, you know? But, but yeah, but like you think of surrealism with like the, autom the, they did so much automatic writing in the beginning and that, I think, there was always this, especially like you think of like Desnos in particular, okay. he was like almost having whole other personalities it was more like spiritualism like he was right. writing in like someone else was taking him over right. and he was writing right or you know i don't know and it, but yeah what is the line between subconscious or and there's a, there's also in addition to that like there's there's the there's connecting to the subconscious there's connecting to um to the supernatural realm beyond humanity, but there's also connecting to like the broader sort of art making or religious making traditions. Sure. Of, yeah. Of reaching towards something beyond just the self. Yeah. And, um, which kind of every sort of every movement, every artistic movement, and every poetry movement has has had had aspects of. And the persona aspect of that too, like you, that's something you're doing anyway when you're writing. You. Right. You're like you're trying to take on these other personas, right? You're, Are you doing it? If you're going to do it well, it's almost like it has to be real, right? Right. No. Yeah. If you're if you're actually going to be making, it's like you're a method actor or something. You've got to like if, if you're going to be making art that's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. worth anybody's time, you're going to have to have some faith in what it is that you're doing, and and if it, and if the work you're doing is connecting to to other people's work who you admire. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. that part too, right? You're yeah. trying to connect to the past in that way. Right. Right. Um, of these people you admire, of these people who did this before you. Right. Right. That, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. See, goes through a <laughs> complicated topic. <laughs> see, that's over here. Let me see. What do you have here? Just, what do you... I'm looking for something, maybe, because... If I can find it, yeah, <laughs> I realize that I just recently wrote a poem. The title of it is Ghost Light. Huh. I don't know that it particularly has that much to do with ghosts, but might well, there's be a way you know there's I, force a poem into like, this. <laughs> like, like even even within uh, within the genre of of ghost stories, it feels like there are there are lineages and connections. Um, between contemporary writers to their predecessors, um, 
and like even even in terms of like conf confusingly named like there's there's hell house about the Belasco mansion yeah yeah which is it's a great story um but then 20 years prior to that there was uh there was um Shirley Jackson's um the haunting of hill house yep yep so there's the, there's hell house the haunting of hill house there's Stephen King's son who gave himself a new name Joe Hill which is confusing both because it, maybe it's a shout out to Hell House and the the haunting of Hill House but it's also the labor leader from the early 20th century the wobbly great oh uh, yeah 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 which is i don't know if that was intentional it seems strange um so there are all of these these overlaps like like uh like Sarah Waters, um, The Little Stranger, um, feels very connected to Henry James' The Turn of the Screw, um, both in terms of setting and approach and tone. Um, and so these, these writers all feel like they're connecting not just to this weird infinite of the realm beyond normal life as we conceive it, but also connecting beyond the self to other people who have engaged in this tradition. And it's kind of exciting. It's a sort of form of time travel. Yeah. Well, and there's... Because that's also... I mean, sure, in that way you're talking about of those literally being connected to right. to the past. But also, I mean, that's what every writer is always doing with... Like, that's why writers have to be... I mean, most, most artists, but writers, it's in particularly in a specific way. You have to be like super knowledgeable about tons of things because you're trying to create subtle connections right without totally you want it to hint at things and it changes the tone of how things right. feel by make those connections that you make to other right. things people are familiar with but right? going back to what we were talking about about charlatans it's <laughs> like not just not just is it good to be super knowledgeable about a ton of things but also the desire to to have that knowledge like the desire to spend a, yeah, a good chunk of that sure. thirty-hour train ride. Actually, reading <laughs> Ted Berrigan's train ride, <laughs> which I did, and which was super terrific, an experience. I, I, they just came out with this the, a second printing of it. I don't think I've ever read that because I've never found a copy of it. I should give you a copy because I think I have two now. Um, I feel like. But they just re-released it they or just, something. They yeah, just, yeah. They just did a second, like a second printing, decades later, um, and uh, and and Eddie Bergen. I ran into him. It's, it's New York, so like your best friends, you never see. You look at <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That you're not, you don't really know at all. You see them all the time. But um, but uh, but I ran into Eddie, and and he gave me a copy of it. And I feel like I may already have a copy that somebody else gave me. Um, Years and years ago, and I guess that was the first print. I didn't realize that was the first print. You had a, you had this so rare that, thing that yeah. you didn't even know. So now I have the first printing, which is super special, right? <laughs> but then I have this other one that Eddie gave me that's super special because Eddie gave it, so I don't know what to do. Well, Maybe I'll just give you both copies. No. <laughs> um, well, but now that it's good to know that it exists, it's possible to get it again. Yeah, and it's great. Yeah. It's... it's uh, it's the least dirty sex poem you're ever going to read. It's, and and, uh, and Ted Berrigan insults all the other poets of, of, of that moment. Um, in this sort of backwards, completely loving kind of way. 
Um, it's really, it's really sweet and terrific. Um, and, and a really great way to end a 30 hour train ride. Like, yeah, like yeah. carve out hours 29 to 30 to read train ride <laughs> as you're, as you're going over. I mean, it seems appropriate. Over, yeah. Like just finish it up as you're, as you're going over that causeway over, over Lake Pontchartrain into New Orleans <laughs> in pitch black, which is a terrifying it is a little, yeah, yeah. At night, yeah, because it's pitch black. I think there's another bridge that goes like a road, like a. See, I think I've only ever been going across that on the train, going out at night. Usually, when I'm coming back, it's daytime. Okay, for some reason, huh? I mostly have done the Chicago. Oh yeah, the uh, New Orleans one. What's that train called? It's called the City of New Orleans. Right. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, that is a pretty precarious bridge, <laughs> right? Because you can't <laughs> see, you can't see the bridge itself when you're on it. It's, there's no lights. It's just one. It's just one track. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what it's built on, but you can't see it at all. So when you look out the window, and it kind of you're kind of rocking very gently to and fro as you're going. There's a lot of those slowly. train bridges like that in New Orleans that are. There's one that goes through Harahan that's like that too. And it's uh, there's a big stretch of it. It's not over water, at least, but it's very high up, right. and it's just the width yeah. of like the track for the train. It seems very strange, and there's no like there's no railings or anything. Yeah. It's just there. Yeah, and it was just pitch black out the window too. You could see <laughs> you could see some other bridge way in the distance of cars going across. You're like, if this train goes into the water. Like, they're not going to find the train for weeks. That would be the worst place for there to be something on the track, because it would derail and just immediately jump just into the water. into, 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 into the, the water. murky depths. <laughs> yeah, it was... But... <laughs> um, yeah, that was the only time I was kind of nervous on the track. <laughs> um, but... But, but back, back to Ghost and yeah. to connect trains to Ghost again, that same town I lived in that was a spiritualist town... Yeah. There was a train, it was on a reservoir, mm -hmm. and there was a train track that went around that reservoir. In modern times, I don't know, it was just a normal, like, shipping train or something. Uh -huh. But the reason that train track was built was it also used to be some kind of, like, town, people, it was like a wellness town when people were doing those things. People would go there right. to do these wellness cures and things. Yeah. But... That town, and I think that's part of the reason it was picked as a spiritual center. At some point, when that used to be a wellness town, that train derailed and went into the reservoir and 400 people died. Oh my god. So, I think the spiritualists felt like this was some place where there was the possibility for these more encounters. Because you had this traumatic right. death yeah. situation. But it brought it back to trains. But also, also speaking of trauma, the uh, like, and and bringing it back specifically to this ghost story that I've been working on for the last couple of years, New York City in the late seventies was was just a vortex of trauma. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bankrupt. The infrastructure was completely collapsing. Not in this like, oh, you know, the trains are delayed, ha ha ha. Kind of, <laughs> but like, oh no, the trains are derailing. The I grew up a couple blocks away from the West Side Highway. Which, when I was about seven, it was this elevated highway along the western edge of Manhattan, right by the Hudson. And it went from the Battery all the way up 
elevated most of the way um, to the northern tip of uh, of Manhattan. And uh, and at some point, I think in in 1977, a uh, a dump truck was driving on the highway, and the section of highway that he was driving on suddenly just collapsed under the weight of the truck. Oh my god! So this, and then after that, they closed the highway. And so from about age seven on until they tore the highway down when I was maybe there was just this weird, there was this abandoned highway (laughs) Um, and, uh, and people would like drive, there were like abandoned cars up there. I think people would take stolen cars up to the highway and strip them down and leave them. (laughs) Uh, But it was mostly, it was, you know, long before the High Line existed as a sort of schmancy tourist destination. Um, there was this stretch of really, really creepy abandoned highway that went for miles with these on-ramps every, like, 20 blocks or so. Which was um, kind of amazing. Yeah, and people would go up and, and they would they would jog and they would ride their bikes. And when I was 10, I, uh, I went up there one time on my bicycle and completely crashed my bike, <laughs> like, in this horrifying way. This is... A bit of a segue, but but when I was ten, I I had open heart surgery, and uh, to correct this thing that I was born with, and uh, and then about about a week after I got out of the hospital, I felt better than I'd ever felt in my life. I felt basically the way that a human is supposed to feel. I just didn't realize <laughs> that for the first ten years of my life, and I was just like, I'm going over the West Side Highway, getting on my bike, and um, and like really going for it and uh my mom was like are you sure i mean i was like no no i'm sure i feel so good um i probably felt the way that like when freud discovered cocaine that was probably how i felt having a functioning heart at age 10 went up to the west side highway to the area where the uh that that truck driver had plummeted through uh um i think actually i hope you didn't try and jump it or something I tried to jump something else. <laughs> um, there was this like huge puddle, right? And um, and I just like went up like about five blocks away, and then turned around and came back, and was <laughs> standing on my bike pedaling as hard as I could, and my foot slipped, <laughs> and I went head over heels sailing over like I flew over the handlebars, and the bike flew over me. We were tumbling in midair. And I just landed like spread eagle face first on the pavement. And I still have this scar, which uh, right here <laughs> on my chin, um, which uh, it was, it was, there was a lot of blood. Um, and uh, I ended up dislocating my jaw. Oh, and my, God. Mom, my mom was up there and she was like, oh my God, do you want, should we get you back to the hospital? And I was like, no, I really had a pretty crappy month in the hospital. I think we can just, let's just see if this thing pops back into place <laughs> and I'll eat applesauce for a few days until then. Um, so, uh, uh, but, uh, but New York was, it was a mess. It was like, yeah, a, yeah. Falling apart. And, and, uh, and so there were a lot of, a lot of sort of traumatic fissures where, um, where the other world could step in and you wouldn't even realize or you boundaries that you could walk over without realizing you had walked over the boundary because yeah yeah because it wasn't that far removed from just everyday life. Um, well, and I, I think cities with history, New York feels like that to me too in a different way than New Orleans. But both New Orleans and New York have that because they've been there so long, right? 
there are all these different abandoned things that have been left to take hold right or be or have been repurposed maybe but in right. very strange ways where there's still these sort of elements of the past right there's this sort of spiritual layering like archaeological spirituality yeah. happening and that's like the big picture in in the context of this of the story that i'm working on um that like there are a lot of ghosts in new york city and and you would think that it's because, like, it's like this archaeological pile-up of the dead. Like, yeah, like yeah, the guys, yeah. They leave this ghost behind, so there's now <laughs> gazillions of ghosts wandering around. But the, but the larger picture truth is that the people showed up to this region, um, like the people from the Netherlands and, and the Lenape before them, came to this area because the ghosts were already because there. Because the ghosts were there. Drawing them in. But how does it connect back to the rats? That you will have to read the story to discover. It all comes back to the pizza rat. <laughs> Although I've been working on this story for for you know two years, and it's uh, like it's it's much too long at this point. It's like one hundred twenty thousand words. It can all be distilled down to a stupid joke about a rat-based meme. <laughs> no, no, it can't. I'm dispelling that right off. The <laughs> All right, so if but we're yeah. going to send someone somewhere, is do you have is well, oh, can they watch your your cast? Is that exist somewhere? You know, some somebody uh was saying I should actually put together a podcast where I sort of yeah, serialize Yeah, yeah, that's a good well. idea. Um because for the most part like like I identify probably um primarily as as a poet, but but secretly, I'm also kind of a master of the unpublishable novel. <laughs> this, is, this is the third one I'm working on now. And oh, I wow. Like, I feel like I may be perfecting the form now of novels that cannot be published. So I feel like perhaps a serialized podcast might be, uh, like, might be an engaging way to go. Because I feel like the people who will enjoy this story, it would, it would be a good service to them to make it available to, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. You know, to both of those people. Or all three of those people, however many people, are going to enjoy this ghost story based in 1979 in New York City. Well, that seems like something that might be good to listen to in an audio format, too. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I feel like I could I could probably start that before going back to New York, now that my vocal cords are very damaged from a week of New Orleans, <laughs> like, stereotypical level debauch. Um uh, my voice is a lot more gravelly. Yeah, I don't know. It's not. It's not sounding that gravelly at the moment. But it's normally my voice is much more youthful and spry and nasally. <laughs> excuses, excuses. <laughs> but all right. Well, when when you do that, yeah, uh, let us know so we can post a link and all that good stuff. I will, yeah. for sure. And. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much for. And thank you for coming and talking about ghosts today. Yeah, well, really about poetry. Just well, I, you know, we just can... just to throw a poem in here at the end. Well, or what we can do. I want you to do that. I can't wait to hear. Yeah, it. yeah. Also, in post after after I leave, anytime anytime we say the word ghost, you can just put the word poem in. It's true. Yeah, I mean that sounds like that'd be a lot of work. Yeah, it might be labor intensive. <laughs> so maybe just in the description for this podcast. You can have the people do that at home. It probably would make sense, though, still, mostly. Yeah. 
That would just it, it becomes a simple sort of word replacement. <laughs> like when you you ever seen a poem? <laughs> there was one time I was in the parking lot with my sister, age seven, and in the woods we saw poems slowly turning, glowing with an internal light, seeming to dance from an unheard music. <laughs> But I want to hear the, your. Right. I want to hear this. Yeah, this, I just as we since we were talking about this unrelated, I just happened to write this poem recently. I don't know that it particularly has anything to do with ghosts, but it has the title "Ghost Light" because I think I was reading something. You know about ghost lights, right? Never. That idea. Well, that's why. That's where I thought your story with your sister was going at first. There's this thing, especially in the South. Yeah. And. Often in swampy areas, but not necessarily. Oh, where right. people the, get these weird balls the, of light. Yeah, will o' the wisps. Yeah, that's another yes, name yeah, for them. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's yes, the yes, yes. Ireland name, right? Yeah. Will o' the wisp, mm -hmm. right? You know, ghost lights, corpse lights. They sometimes call them too. Right. And you know, there's none of the explanations really make a whole lot of sense. Sometimes people try to say swamp gas, but yeah, well, that wouldn't be lasting that long probably i don't know it's just these weird unexplained lights people don't know what they are yeah and i don't know uh, i was thinking about that and so i gave this poem that title i don't know what it really has anything to do with that but that's how it goes but you know it's an excuse to have a poem in here <laughs> <laughs> ghost light beneath the lichened coils of oaks crippled mermaids are wheeled through the serpent's throat why not pickpocket tyrannosaurus rex crazy eights bone the meringue of occipital lobes you wanted to look like you were on some expedition. It's barely morning, and the corner of that building's blazing like some bioluminescent mushroom. Pelicans propaned on mistletoe, duckweed deputies dosy -si dough -do like garlic, and over the whole damn river all I see is thousands of shadows of trout. Your skin is the white ghost of silverfish brindled with synesthesia. You finally aren't angry at me. And still the delta blows tectonic gingham dreams into the treble clefts of useless dead relatives. You tell me I kiss like somebody on TV, but I don't know what that means. You say, unless they're acting, nobody puts their whole body into it. <laughs> Rindled with synesthesia. There's more ghosts in there than I remembered, yeah. so at least there's some. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I actually found... Uh, I I've discovered that I actually do have the foreword to my ghost story. All right, let's hear it. I, I don't know if we have time, though. It's like it's going to take about nine minutes to read it. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, what are you going to If it's boring, you can just cut this <laughs> You can thing out. stop listening. Yeah, I true. mean, you, if, you're, if you're bored that easily, you probably already stopped listening before you got to this <laughs> point of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, have you ever have you ever been able to see? I guess if it's not live, you can't see as I was able to see one from the Amtrak the numbers <laughs> jumping up and then as the signal kind of broke. Yeah, up. I don't. They do give us statistics. I don't think I can see that. Like where people stop yeah. listening. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can read. Uh, I can read the uh, the you know the 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 book actually starts with a, uh, a poem by John Ashbery. I did. I heard that part. <laughs> um, so yeah, I could I could go ahead and read and read the forward. Yeah, let's let's hear it. Okay, you'll recognize the first line because I used it already earlier on about the rats. Are you ready? P perhaps we should light a fire in the fireplace. <laughs> All right, I'll hold on. Yeah, or just set that set that chest of drawers on fire over there. Um, 
They say there's one rat for each person in New York City, like a soulmate. They're wrong. There are eight million rats, but far fewer people. Yet, the cheek-to-cheek, -cheek, bottomless refill of generously poured sidewalk bodies is so overcapacity, there must be eight million of us, or nine even, feeding each corner with a fresh round of carnal swagger and feral sophistication, especially late at night when the inexplicables take hold. A woman just behind you hums the tune your worried grandmother used to. You turn, and the street is empty. Or a man yells from the window of that abandoned warehouse. You drop something, and there, on the ground, a scrap of paper with an unfamiliar address written in your own handwriting. Later, as you fall asleep, somebody knocks, looking for the family who lived there three years ago. These momentary chaperones aren't people. They're ghosts. Oh, I know, I know. They're ghosts, is that special crazy between the Loch Ness Monster is real and I'm really the Loch Ness Monster. I didn't buy it either. Not at first. Like you. I've got enough problems without delusional faith in the beyond. Gloves vanish because of my own carelessness, not a trickster revenant with icy hands. Noises in the wall mean incompetent contractors, not malevolent dark specters. The night I came home to a kicked-in front door and missing valuables, I needed the cops and a locksmith, not psychics and a priest. The bodega, the bodega guy downstairs didn't know nothing about the break-in, which was weird because he knows a lot about other things, like how Stevie Wonder shot JFK, or that Sonny and Cher are one person. Anytime my skepticism wavers, I get a coffee from the bodega guy. Everything he says is a lie, including that this is real coffee. I was outside drinking the lie, light and sweet, when the locksmith arrived. As we walked upstairs, he asked me, apropos of nothing, was it Sonny or Cher who said houses aren't haunted, we are? Or maybe it was like when JFK told Stevie Wonder, ask not to believe in what you don't understand, ask for what you don't understand to believe in you. Whatever the opposite of a blank stare is, is what I threw back at him. Then, getting down to business, I ran my hand along the wounded doorframe and told him, put in your cheapest lock because I am moving. This city is over. He smiled, whistling through a gap in his teeth, and said, Answers are always easy, but they're also always wrong. I ended up with a good lock, but only charged for the cheap one. I also ended up convinced to stick around. We crossed paths periodically after that, usually when I was once again on the verge of ditching New York. Somehow, each conversation was enough of a departure from normal life to satiate my wonderlust. Over time, we ran into each other enough to constitute a friendship. One night on the Bowery, when I really meant it this time about moving, he introduced me to some friends who were unusual even by my standards. Their three faces shifted from one to the other. How do you guys know each other, I asked, because how are you swapping faces like that seemed like too insane a question. They, they're ghosts, he said with a nonchalant shrug. I am, well... That's a little dark and complicated. A little dark and complicated is why, instead of leaving the city, I leave this for you. This being the story of my friend Liam Early, the locksmith, and his relationship with the departed, and the never were. Liam, who insisted that our core convictions, even the rational disbelief in ghosts, are whispered in our ear by the ghosts themselves. Liam, with his own aptitude for making the impossible undeniable, provided glimpses behind his own very private veil that I will share with you.
The first thing I learned is that phantoms aren't concerned with whether you believe in them. They don't care if you've got second sight, the shining, the gift, or if busted makes you feel good. They've got better things to do than appear behind you in a bathroom mirror or make the hall weirdly cold. Of course, some do anyway, for kicks or to avoid other more unpleasant tasks. Rarely, there are darknesses, violent ontological spasms for whom disturbing you is the goal. Secondly, it's unclear when you pass from the natural world into the strange, unsettling beauty of the supernatural, but everyone does. The city is almost all borderland. It's a vacuum into which the outlandish, irrational, creative consciousness of the world is drawn, disgusting and beautiful, infested and flowering, an open wound and an open invitation to all Tomardo's parties today. Not everyone catches the moment they're approached by the freshly disembodied at the flesh-led body disco, or more intimately at their easel, guitar, or desk, and ushered to an illuminated wilderness beyond themselves. People decide to move here, to this version of the city, but nobody really comes by choice. To find it requires first losing everything to the compost of cast-off identities and hiding, especially from yourself, in the un- provable certainty that the problem is the solution. And so it was with Liam, who took his first doe-like steps off the airplane at LaGuardia, more an orifice than an airport, with only dreamlike memories of where he'd gotten on board. There are more metrospectrals in New York than anywhere else, emerging from the Gotham mist into the extremely outer boroughs. Liam would discourage this sort of talk because it reduces the infinite to a cheap joke. But it's also true. There are so many residents who look at our frail physicality and soggy needs and provide half-sensed interventions from their diaphanous sleeve, interventions as necessary as they are disquieting, which is why I make the jokes a kind of post-gallows humor. Some ghosts were alive once, and you might think the city's teeming spirit population is the effect of human presence over the years, an archaeological pile-up of the departed, but the opposite is true. Most ghosts were never human. They've always been ghosts, forward-looking, bemoaning not the past, but how long it takes for the future to get here. This otherwise nondescript cluster of hills overlooking a harbor only became New York because the spirits were already here, first beckoning to the Lenape, bringing them to Manahata, then the Dutch to New Netherlands, then the uncategorizable Bohemians instinctively drawn to the seething crossover we now have of the underground and underworld. Phantoms are particularly attracted to cultural ruptures where they can guide people towards who they need to be. Read the spooky diaries from Boston in 1776 or St. Petersburg in 1917 or Wu Chang in 1911, places where you would look around and ask, how can you live like this? And the answer for many would be, live? New York City is such a place, bankrupt, broken down, begging for cash to keep the lights on. The president told New York to drop dead, and the city's shadowy chorus replied, Too late. My home gets called Fear City, the Rotten Apple, New Amsterdam, mostly by people with their own agenda. Liam's many names were also imposed on him against his will. Like the city, he's got a knack for inspiring those around him. He believes in ghosts, but what he didn't know was the ghosts had stopped believing in us, and that 
is where our story begins. <laughs> wow. So yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot in that introduction, and I think you had referenced so much of it already. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. all it's all cohesive, which means. And then I mean, even, I we to... even got a Velvet Underground reference thrown in, or <laughs> New Yorking all over yeah. the place. <laughs> from, from Dante's Underworld to the Velvet Underground. But, uh, yeah, and the fact that a great deal of what was in that forward to, to the story was woven into our, our conversation. Yeah, we had the, the humming melody and everything. It there means, I don't have to tell you this, or the listeners, wherever they may be, <laughs> it means that it's all true. So you're going to have to look out for this in whatever form, whether it's a podcast or actually publishes a novel. <laughs> Wait, what's it? Do you have a title? I do. It's called Visitor Street. Visitor Street. Okay. Yeah. Because I don't think you've said that yet. No, I, I'm being kind of cagey <laughs> about it. <laughs> all right. Well, we've been on this podcast for a long time here so maybe it's, it's time for an on. end <laughs> but thank you so much thank you joseph and i hope you enjoy the little bit of time you got left in new orleans i'm i'm keeping you inside when you should be out i know it's a beautiful day out doing but stuff it's gonna but... be a beautiful night too all right all right thank you thank you joseph and listeners see you again at some point <laughs> farewell <laughs> Thank you.